Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. We have a mailbag episode for you after the British Grand Prix on Sunday. We're an independent podcast still, though, brought to you in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. So a bit of an experiment today. Obviously, you've sent us your questions uh, feedback at MrApex.net. And we're going to answer those. And then a little bit later in the show, we are going to experiment with trying to answer your questions live using a a Twitter space. So we'll see if that works um, or not. But we've got loads of great questions to start off with. And we have a fantastic panel today. We've got Matt Two Rumpets. Hey, Matt. Hey there. Destiny is all. Now, normally we try and do a snappy one-liner, but that's so cryptic. I can't explain yourself straight away. Well, I had had two in mind uh, for for Sunday's show. And that was the other one from this, um, is it Last Kingdom? Like this Saxon English drama. Okay, it's good. one of those shows that I watch by myself because neither my wife nor d- or daughter cares to watch it with me. And that was the guy's Utrecht tagline. It's Destiny. A... It's all okay. It's my fault for asking. Jules Sagers joins us from <laughs> Holland. Yes. Good evening, guys. Um, Actually, uh, I don't know if I was the only one, but only today I noticed that this weekend's uh, Grand Prix is a sprint race on Saturday. So it's quality on Friday uh, Friday afternoon. Yay, sprint races are fun for everyone. It's double the fun. And we've got uh, we've got YouTube sensation Brad Philpot joining us as well from his green room. Hello. Hello, Brad. Embracing life with extra followers. Yeah, man. But look at you. I mean, you can't look if you're listening to this on audio, but you look like a young up-and-coming Twitch streamer with your green lights in the background and uh, your fancy chair. You're becoming every bit... The, di- the dynamic young content creator. 
I, I appreciate that feedback, Spanners, because that is exactly what I'm aiming for. So um, hopefully everyone else thinks that too. <laughs> okay, fantastic. Um, guys, let's get to some of the listener questions. That's what we're here for. Okay, I've dug out the very best from our mailbag sack and our panel have had a chance to have a dig around and see which ones they fancy answering. Jules, did anything grab your attention in the mailbag? One of the questions that came along was a question from Christian Setterwall. Christian said, everyone's saying Ferrari binned it for for not uh, pitting Leclerc. And he argued that from a team's point of view, they did what every team would do, which was basically try and 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 uh, uh, keep your uh, keep your track position because if he would have pitted then the rest would wouldn't have and vice versa he thought what well, they did the right thing from uh, the team's point of view it's it's not actually a question but it, it's interesting to get into because i had a look at the race when the safety car uh, came in and i was looking at the time differences and the gap leclerc had to some of uh, some of the guys behind him because i was i was wondering what if if they had pitted him yeah uh, where would where, where would he have uh, rejoined the race yeah and he had he had about 6 seconds uh, to hamilton so Sainz and hamilton would have would have passed him if if they would have stayed out because leclerc would yeah, have pitted yeah but sure, right? surely staying out we saw we saw and it should have been obvious that staying out was race suicide so you know he would have been delighted if he'd come in come out on fresh boots and the other two had stayed out you go brilliant easy easy win yeah yeah and that was exactly what i was thinking especially because he would have uh rejoined the race in the third safety car so he would he would have been right up uh, hamilton's tail on fresher tires yeah I hate to say it but christian said a wall um i think from the team's point of view it might have been the best thing to actually pit Leclerc. Yeah, there's no because, downside, is there? Yeah. Only thing I can I can imagine what Ferrari would have would have thought is they noticed um, Hamilton was was doing so well on uh, on the tires he had at, at that point uh, that they maybe thought he would would be able to hang on 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 his old tires if if Hamilton would have stayed out, like Leclerc himself actually managed to do. Uh, in uh, in uh, the way the race turned out, which was Leclerc on his old tires, actually um, uh, doing a pretty decent, pretty decent job still. Okay, I thought. Yeah, where I'd like to get in there is the problem for Ferrari in this instance was that Hamilton was on tires that were only a couple of laps old when this incident happened. Um, Leclerc's and Sainz's tires were much older. And fundamentally, I think from a tactical point of view, I think the team was correct. That was a classic call. You take the track position and and you defend with older tires. However, I think the problem for Ferrari, and, and I think when you say everyone at home knew immediately, yes, we all did know immediately. I think their decision making's been... I don't want to use tainted, but it's still weighed down too heavily by the previous regulation sets where it was much easier to warm the tires because you had a lot more tricks you could play with the brake ducts and stuff like that. And so it would have been a much closer contest pre-2022 regulations. Post-2022, warming older tires, warming harder tires is a much more of a challenge. And we saw, if you go back to the beginning of the race, Verstappen on the soft tires, then we see Verstappen on the medium tires. You see the difference that makes in the initial phase of the restart. 
And there, I think, at at the very least, they should have been on the blower to Leclerc and saying, your lead car, we can pitch you for brand new sauce, but you'll be out behind Lewis and Signs if neither elect to pit and leave it, leave it to your driver to decide what they want. And if they were, I think if they, if they had understood the soft tire properly, they would have brought him in even at the cost of leading the race. Ah, it's easy. I guess it's easy to be kind of normally like be backseat benefit of hindsight. But I think we see this a lot with, um, with Mercedes as well, Brad, isn't it? Where everyone's just screaming at the screen. Um, I, I, I think everyone called this one from Ferrari. So, I don't want to be too hard on them, but it it does just feel like they've got everything you know exactly wrong over quite a few decisions. Sorry, Matt, quickly then, Brad. It's just also, I think maybe it's a probability thing. Maybe over 100 times of making that choice, you win 53 times and lose 47 times. But that only applies if you do the same action every single time. Kind of like poker with, with some of your hands that win less often, but when more money you have to you have to play them when they lose as well as when they win or else the odds you're playing don't work so from my point of view there was no situation in which Leclerc was going to benefit from staying out and not changing to soft um and I was actually really surprised at how well he hung on I thought he would fall back further I thought Hamilton would mug him immediately he actually did a better job than I thought he'd manage with I mean, I guess they weren't crazy old and they were the hards. They weren't, uh, you know, an old medium or an old soft. At least they were the compound that is going to last better when it's older. But after extended safety car, losing the temperature, cars behind on brand new soft tires, I just expected Leclerc to fall down the field. And I mean, so like I said, I think I think he actually did a really good job from there, but yeah. Ferrari threw him under the bus. Actually, it, it was really quite impressive from Leclerc all around and I don't think we emphasize this enough on the Sunday race review but apart from sending it up the inside of of Perez and being a bit hasty I think and just taking a bit too much speed into there and causing his own damage apart from that he was driving with with damage was the faster of the two Ferraris for whatever reason did well even hanging on after being put on the wrong strategy and then holding his professionalism in a way, actually, not a huge amount of drivers would have done. Whatever Binotto said to him, it just reminds me of that Homer Simpson meme, doesn't it? Where, where Bart says, this is the worst day of my life. And Bonotto's there going, no, this is the worst race of your life so far. But yeah, whatever Bonotto said really managed to kind of settle him down. And, and, that, and that, that's good. I think you would have seen a lot of young drivers kicking off there and, and blaming the team. So well managed on, on that behalf. Um, shall we risk, Matt? Shall we risk? going to we've got our first live caller from our twitter space i have no idea if the technology is going to work and uh, no idea if this this patron that's speaking to us is going to be friendly friend or foe let's have a look there we have got stuart in our live chat hello stuart can you hear us hello how are you oh my goodness can you hear me yes the technology the technology has succeeded stuart Uh, have you got a question or comment for us well, I've got two, really. Well, as I sort of said last week, Matt, I, I, can you speak for the next sort of 45 minutes an hour about tyre squirt for us? Um, <laughs> uh, but also, is it too late to talk? Is it too early to start talking about Danny Rick Ooh, and his future? OK, I think I prefer that one. And we will uh, take that question <laughs> offline. Thank you very much. In fact, Stuart, before you go, um, something yeah. I keep meaning to push more is the karting event. We've probably got about a dozen oh, spaces yeah. left. 
uh, the Missed Apex Karting on the 3rd of September at Buckmore Park, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash karting. Are you attending? You're a regular, Stuart. I am. I'm already booked in and looking forward to it. And, um, you know, as I, as I, as I often say, it, I'm, I'm there to make sure that people are all better than me. And well, we're not going to get bad people. There's so, 55 um, drivers. Do you think you can break the top 50? Um, well, I'm not going to promise that. You know, that would be just too optimistic, really. And when you say too I, early I am, to start... I am to, the Danny Rick of mistakes. <laughs> when you say too early to talk, start talking about Danny Rick, do you mean as in the end of Danny Rick? Well, you know, it's just after the, after Saturday or Sunday's performance, really. Is it is it too early to start? You know, because it's such a hurt, hurtful moment for everyone who mm. likes McLaren and, you know, yeah. likes Danny as well. So, uh, but, you know, it doesn't look good, does it? No, we'll take that question offline. Thank you very much, Stuart, for being our, our guinea All right. pig. <laughs> All right. Glad it works. Uh, well, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it, of, of course, difficult to answer. But the thing is, uh, he came in 13th, I think. And that would have been about last since we had quite a, quite a few cars uh, not finishing. Yeah. And it's just getting a bit sad, you know, and not, not to discredit uh, Ricciardo, but like literally um, it's a bit sad uh, to see how, and I know we discussed it a couple of weeks back in one of the new shows, um, how his career just seems to be like a balloon slowly losing air. Uh, it's, yeah, it's um, not a whim. It's not a bang. It's a whimper that it's. Yeah, be. yeah, yeah. Matt, well, he's had some better results though. He's looked okay against Lando up until this race, and actually in the race, if my memory serves me correctly, he wasn't doing terribly until he got onto the hard tire. And the only reason I bring that up is because I distinctly remember Lando being told that the hard tire might be a bad choice, and they would have only been basing that on. Um, data they were getting from ricardo so there may have been a specific mechanical setup thing going on with his car that that really cost him in that uh after his first pit stop but before that he was driving fine so i say you know let's i, I think he's bought himself a little more time at the very least and um but yeah knife edge definitely a knife edge mm, time to turn it around i did actually do a a little a little maths exercise with the championship table earlier in the day and seeing who was like mathematically still within a chance. So what I didn't do, I didn't do who's like out of the championship. I thought it was a bit too early to do that, but I thought it was quite interesting to look through whose destiny was still in their hands, Brad. And I, and I hate sex. I know you're a, I think you're a bit of a Norris fan, but Lando Norris no longer has his destiny in his own hands. If he wins every race, 12 races, two sprint races and every fastest lap and Verstappen finishes second, he still won't win the championship. So he's relying on results now is uh, Lando Norris. I mean, those, those stats, interesting <laughs> as they are, largely irrelevant, as uh, as you yeah, know. know. Um, on the Ricardo topic, I I haven't seen much positivity from that, that side of the garage in quite a while. And I think the biggest problem for Ricardo is there isn't anywhere else to go. Um, you know, it, the only potential options within Formula One will be continuous backward steps. Uh, and I don't think he's going to want to take that. He's kind of really stuck. If this doesn't work, if something doesn't happen really soon and he doesn't really start getting, because it's not good enough to just sometimes be all right compared to Norris. You know, he's being paid enough money that he needs to be beating Norris sometimes regularly, at least being equal. That's that's the aim and it's just not happening at all. 
And that, and that's been the story for for Ricciardo, especially at McLaren, uh, too often. One thing I would like to to mention in defense of him uh, was at Silverstone his uh, his DRS uh, malfunction. So he entered the pit and uh, they uh, they closed this flap which was was ah, staying right. open. And that way he couldn't use DRS anymore. But he said himself that even with working DRS, his car just felt like it had no grip at all. And he doubted that it would have made a big difference. So let's see. A lot of teams don't particularly mind if they have a number two that's a little bit a step behind. In fact, it's ideal for some teams. So Bottas being a step behind at at Mercedes was a bit of a blessing, especially after the Rosberg years. If you're Ferrari, you always elevate one driver slightly above the others why is it a particular problem at mclaren to have ricardo just trailing a little bit behind you you put all your eggs in the norris bucket matt and then ricardo's chugging along i'm sure he's still a reliable driver for feedback he is but i think the problem for mclaren is going to be points and they need him to be there or thereabouts with norris a half step behind maybe and right now when he's off, he's like two, two and a half steps behind. Mm. And that's problematic when you don't have the budget of the big boys, but you're still trying to take third or fourth in the Constructors Championship. You need, you need the signs Norris pairing when it comes to scoring the points, if you know what I mean. Yeah. All right, then. Well, it's an implied question because I think everyone I've heard talk about this thinks this is the end uh, for Danny Rick at McLaren. They're going to replace him. So I guess there's two questions. Is there anywhere for him to go who would have daniel ricardo now i mean he's he's damaged in stock by having been beaten i think twice in a row by lando norris i think that's going to hurt his trade value he could well be a good aston martin number two driver to stroll i suppose that's one option backed alpine i don't know if bridges have been have been burnt there any other any other options for ricardo I don't really think so, is he? He doesn't fit into the Red Bull Junior program. So I guess the second question is, you kick Ricardo out, who who do you bring in instead? Brad? I mean, the problem with this is it's been announced that he's got a contract with AlphaTauri for next year, but I'd be putting Gasly in that seat. I know people are going to yeah. uh, point to IndyCar drivers, um, say Pato Award should be in there, but um, I really think Pierre Gasly would be a good fit for that team. And um I don't know. I think maybe for the amount of money that McLaren would save on Ricardo per season, they could probably afford to buy Gasly out of the Red Bull contract. Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. But yeah, but it, it does. I, I don't know if that's a good move for Gasly unless he feels like he's going to start getting thumped by Sonoda. I really believe that the teammate battle is is the key thing for a, a driver when you're thinking about marketability. Marketability. So you're not shooting up the grid to go to McLaren, but what you are doing is you're trading a a beatable teammate for probably like a real top talent. Brad, be honest. If you're Gasly, do do you do you face Norris just to get out of the Red Bull system, or do you hang on in there another season of beating your teammate? And because well, his his reputation is so high right now, is Gasly's. I'll get the driver view and then Matt. Yeah. So I think. Uh, you've got to back yourself to beat anyone. True, yeah. And the problem is he has had a season where he didn't beat Verstappen, obviously, or half a season. But I imagine he's mentally got over that and and compartmentalised that and, and got some reasons for it. And there'll be things like Verstappen was more used to the car. The team didn't fully support me. I didn't have as much experience. He will have 
he will have gone away and thought that he's grown and improved as a driver. And now he could be anyone. That'll be his mindset. And if he doesn't have that, uh, I, I, he's not the driver I think he is. So I think he would back himself to go and be on a level with Norris. I actually think he, he would be somewhere there. I think he would be at least a lot closer than Ricardo. Um, I don't think Norris is some unbeatable god. I know it, I know he was less experienced back then, but him and Sainz were roughly equivalent. Mm. Um, I think Gasly would have a good shot there, but the key is to break away from the Red Bull family because he's never going back to the main team. At some point, if he's if he wants to be a champion or win more races, he has to spread his wings because Alpha Tower isn't where he's going to win those races. All right. Well, I'm, I'm trying to remind myself. Sorry, Jules. You get you get in. Well, I remind myself of who Gasly has gone up against in his career. But the problem for McLaren is that their young driver program has pretty much dried up. You only have one guy there uh, who I think drives in British Formula 4. So they have, they have no, no one lined up themselves. Uh, while they used to have a pretty rich uh, academy, uh, you know, of, uh, Stoffel van Dorne, uh, Nick de Vries, uh, Lando himself, of course. So they would almost... If you want to get rid of Ricciardo and you want to replace it with someone better, obviously you you end up in in the echelon of in the, for example Gasly, but you have to buy him out and pay him a, a proper salary. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation. But I think for McLaren, performance wise, but also marketing wise, Ricciardo isn't isn't delivering any anything to them. Well, I, this is going to be a bit of a left turn, but I think. <laughs> For McLaren, their junior drivers are languishing because that's not how they look at filling the seat in their senior team anymore. I think they got their hands on Carlos Sainz and realized that they'd been missing a trick. Like, like you take a junior driver, it's going to be a year plus before they can deliver consistent results. And they're going to cost you a lot in broken cars in the meantime. Much better to get someone seasoned experience, even if they're not quite as quick, and count on them to make it up in the race in an era when I think we can all agree qualifying is to a certain extent way less important than it's ever been yeah a wise a wise man once said that's what i heard yeah that's what i heard too so i'm going to throw two names at you if you're looking for someone completely out of left field maybe they steal magnuson from haas i i think that's yeah it's probably a, a more solid replacement if whatever is inflicting ricardo isn't inherent to that second seat then yeah you'd have to back Magnussen to just to do a job he he matched more or less matched Grosjean on pace was probably yep. the better overall race driver probably you you'd bet as a team manager he's he's a step enough behind Norris probably to not cause too much headaches but bring in points and he's old enough to have that sort of extra level of maturity where he's not going to be personally bothered if Norris is a bit quicker than him because he'll be like I'll make it up in the race if I have to the other name I'm going to throw at you, and it's just because, unlike Gasly, who's been on Honda more or less his whole life, is getting a lot of experience with Mercedes engines, would be Alex Albon from Williams. Not as tied to Red Bull anymore. Would probably be a pretty popular choice from a marketing point of view. And, you know, he's, he's been doing, uh, for the most part, a mm. Russell-esque job. Russell <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. A Russell-esque job just means beating Latifi. 
that's all of us. And I know, I know we meant to pretend that the, the 10th place means that, you know, he's a brilliant driver. We have, in fact, got a question about that a little bit later. Um, but look, I just want to circle back to, to Gasly before we get too far away from it, because I did say I'd look at his teammate battles, and I do try to occasionally follow through on the threads that I pull here. His teammates were Carlos Sainz, to start with. Okay, so did he look good against Carlos Sainz? Can anyone remember? Rookie year? No, there's no no memories there, but Hartley, uh, Brand- Brendan Hartley, who I don't think set Formula One on fire, although he's part of the Red Bull driver program. Obviously, didn't go well against Verstappen. Uh, Daniel Kvyat uh, back at what would have been Toro Rosso at the time, and then Yuki Tsunoda. So I, I would argue that we. I don't. I think that he's in one of the. He's in a bit of a purple patch where he's able to beat teammates at the junior team under less pressure. You only really notice him when he's doing well. I'm not saying that he's not doing well, but he's not under that same scrutiny. I don't think we know if you put Gasly in Ferrari, how we do. If, if you put him in Mercedes, how we do. We, we saw what happened, obviously, at, at Red Bull. But I, I just think people can get carried away with, um, with the Gasly with the Gasly lover. I'm going to get shot down. Uh, Matt at MissedApex.net for all of your feedback. <laughs> so we're going to go to some more of your uh, listener questions in our mailbag. You can get in touch with us by emailing feedback at mistapex.net. And me and Matt have email addresses there, so matt or spanners at mistapex.net. And we are experimenting. We had one live call today already, and what we've been doing is having our a Twitter space open, and you can join that Twitter space, and you can hear us kind of in low quality in the background, exactly the same as if you phoned into a radio station, um, and you can request to speak, and we can take your question. So... Let's go to our mailbag. Brad, you'd picked one out. Yeah, so Phil Allen was asking about whether or not the the sporting regulations were applied correctly at Silverstone oh. and whether or not <laughs> um, entertainment is, is taking precedent over the actual application yes. of the rules. And it's a, that's the point that Ellen makes, say, saying, is it slipping back towards you know, WWE-style sports entertainment? Yeah, so I'm going to answer this in, in two different ways. So up until this afternoon... I would have said, yes, they are ignoring the the actual rules and applying um, discretion, which which makes things more entertaining on the face of it, but uh, actually, in my opinion, makes the racing worse. So in essence, they are allowing people to run other, other cars off track, which we saw quite a lot last year. Now, the reason I say until this afternoon, I would have said that is because it's come to light, it's come to my attention that actually the the clarification from the FIA to the Formula One drivers or with the Formula One drivers, if they did this jointly and agreed it together, is actually that there's kind of extra rules pasted over the top of the the ISC, the, the normal rules that talk about not being allowed to crowd another driver off track. Now, I'm making a video about this. In fact, I was actually about to make it before we came onto this, um, onto this show. Uh-huh. Tell so us first. continue afterwards, so you'll get the, the inside line first, but... In essence, you are allowed to crowd people off track. It's written into the rules that all of the moves that I saw at Silverstone and thought were a bit dodgy on the line or were illegal, um, like maybe Perez running Hamilton wide um, not long after the restart or uh, Verstappen running Mick Schumacher wide uh, at the exit of Brooklyn. That was probably the most obvious one because Schumacher was so far alongside him. Those are perfectly legal as per the regulations. It turns out that the the agreed 
update of the rules are that unless the car on the outside is ahead of the car on what? the inside by the apex, the car on the inside can do whatever they want. You're allowed to run them off track, and it actually goes further. You're allowed to run the car so far off track as long as you've still got a part of one of your tires touching the white line, like a qualifying rule. The other car can go uh, jump, Wait. jump up a rope or whatever they say. It, can, it just has to disappear. So hang on, hang on. So all you have to do is essentially not break. Yeah, so you've got the battle of the outbreaking. You don't really have to outbreak your opponent. You just have to not break to the point that whenever you're level with the apex, whatever that means, because you don't, you don't have to make the apex in a corner. The inside car in an overtaking move doesn't have to go to the apex. So on whatever is deemed to be the equivalent of the apex, you just have to make sure you don't brake. And you can just, as long as you can jam your brakes to the point that you stop and keep two wheels on the track, much like Rosberg versus Hamilton, Austria, however long ago it was. So what we're just saying is that you can just do full-on block tackles. This doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like that's the best way to go about racing. So I think probably the most obvious example that we can picture is the first lap at Abu Dhabi last season where Verstappen dived down the inside of Hamilton and, and Hamilton then chose to cut the corner following. And oh, yeah, Verstappen, yeah. Verstappen stayed on track but didn't leave a car's width for Hamilton to yeah. exist in that instance. Or, or any and, room for Hamilton to exist. Yeah, so you could, you could have argued, and some of us did argue, that that meant Hamilton was justified in bailing out and cutting across the corner and then retaining that position. But by these rules as they're written now, Verstappen's move was perfectly legal and, in fact, exactly what's encouraged. Provided you maintain control of your car and stay within the limits of the track, which means you know keeping a tiny bit of your car touching the white line, then you can do that as long as you're the car on the inside. So yeah, in my view, it is a really, really negative thing. It makes it easier for the stewards to adjudicate things, but it makes the actual racing battles much more boring, mundane, and gives way too much power to the car on the inside in all these situations. I know Matt's got something to comment. Well, to me, what we've just gone and done, like my understanding of the updated rules at the beginning of the season was the exact opposite of what they've just now said it is. And it seems like to me, we've simply codified what the case was before, which is like, if you're the car on the inside, the car on the outside, unless the car on the outside's wheels are ahead, it's just simply going to have to live with whatever the inside car chooses to do. And it seems like, I mean, was it exciting to watch the end of the race? Yes, absolutely. Without everyone getting five second penalties. Yes, absolutely. But the long-term damage is it's going to make overtaking much more difficult. And I think from an entertainment point of view, we might be getting a penny now, but losing a pound later. So I actually addressed this in, in the video I'm making about the, the end of the Silverstone race, because I'm preempting people saying, you just don't like, you don't want to see that cool action we had at the end of Silverstone. That was great. That was great racing. And I'd ask people just to think about how much better it would have been had those attacking drivers been forced to leave one car width yeah. to the edge of the track. Those, those amazing overtakes we saw from Perez and the defense from Verstappen and, and all of those other moves where eventually a car was forced to run off the side of the circuit. Those attacks and those defenses would have continued for at least one more corner, maybe multiple more corners. At the end of the race, Verstappen would have had to leave some room for Schumacher to exist on the exit of Brooklands. Schumacher would have had the inside for Luffield. We'd have then seen Verstappen hanging on around the outside of Luffield and then attacking into Cops. That fight would have continued further and been more exciting. So I think it's easy to, okay. to see a lunge and think, oh, that's exciting. 
and so, then see a car go off track and think, well, we don't want that penalised because we don't want to discourage racing. Um, okay, but, but that uh, isn't really... So the FIA, though, the foremost governing body in, in motorsport, are the very, disagrees with you and me and, and Matt. What, what is the motivation for saying, yeah, you're, just, you're allowed to shove a car all the way off track? What happens at Austria? What happens in street circuits? Like, you, that means you're allowed to put people into the wall, or is there a stipulation? And that, that's a really good point. And, and you've reminded me, I need to record some extra audio for my <laughs> video because I forgot to mention street circuits because we haven't even gone into the fact that there is no apex. There is no orange dot painted on the track that says this is the apex. Yeah. If I want to get a better exit, my apex is later. If I'm in the wet, my apex might be somewhere totally different. If, if I've got more warm tires, I might be apexing earlier or later or whatever. The apex is not a, not a real thing, a point on the track. So straight away, we've got an argument there. Secondly, even if we agree where the apex is, imagine the overtakes happening near the edge of the track on the outside. The line, the imaginary line you're drawing across the track from the apex on the inside, depending on the precise angle you angle your imaginary line, the apex could be 5, 10, 20 metres different on the outside of the track to where it is on the inside of the track. So there's all sorts of problems with this. They basically made their lives more difficult, but it, on the face of it, it makes it simpler for stewards to judge. But it's almost like they've looked at all the moves Verstappen did last year and gone, well, if they were all just completely legal, we wouldn't have had a headache at all. He's just allowed to do it, and that's the end of it. Jules? So. But guys, I mean, this is, this is a listener show, right? This is our audience's show. I think if we would ask right now, how many people of, of our audience gets this mm. and still follows what Brad is trying to explain us? I mean, this is, this is a viewer sport, right? Liberty want, want this sport to be, to be entertaining. If, 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 if the rules are so hard, you know, if the rules are so unclear, something has right. gone wrong, you know, and, in my opinion, the FIA had a chance after Abu Dhabi 21 to really break down the rules really clearly and say, this, this goes and this doesn't go. And in, I get the feeling that if they had drawn a clear line there, um, they would have practically said like a lot of, and I'm sorry to say, a lot of the Verstappen overtakes or defending had been illegal if they in 2021, 20, 20, if they, <gasps> if they had drawn a clearer line, so they couldn't, you know, because there was already too much hassle and too much negativity surrounding the, the, the title decider. So do, do you understand what, what I'm saying? I, I think they mm. should have done that because I mean, I, I, I love Brett for explaining this, but it seems so hard to follow for, for the, the regular viewer. I mean, nobody understood why they weren't penalized. Matt. And you've not even looked at the technical regulations yet. These are just simple driving rules, my friend. The FAA <laughs> does a bang and trade. That's it. <laughs> and hard to understand rules that no one can really follow. I'm out of here, man. Okay, right. Uh, okay, well, I don't love it, but we do uh, want consistency, I guess. I've got a question for you, Brad. Lewis Hamilton is forced off by Perez, and we're now saying that according to the rules, that was legal. Yeah, so we're saying that's fine, that move. Obviously, still cutting across a uh, veil wasn't legal, but the then shoving Leclerc off as a result of beelining over veil was legal because he still had some wheels on the track. This is daft. Okay, well, so, uh, actually, yeah. I need to relook at that and see whether he was, whether the outside car was ahead. Because actually, if Leclerc was ahead, then that oh, wasn't then it, legal. Then it wasn't legal. So okay. 
what 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 if in the Hamilton one, which was into turn three, Hamilton left the door open thinking he could get round the outside. Perez ushers him all the way to the end. Can Hamilton stay pinned? And when Perez goes back to take the racing line to the right for turn four, can Hamilton come back on track in a and continue the racing? It's so unclear. If the track limits are not the track limits, if you don't have to leave racing room for a car, you can shove them off off the off the track. Can you keep racing off the track? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. It's another reason why this is is pretty bonkers that these are the rules. But that does lead us on to the question of if all the drivers are aware of this, if all the drivers have agreed to this, and we didn't really hear that many complaints. And from True, Jonathan Noble yeah. on motorsport.com's article, which is what's led me to, to see all, all this written down, if, if by, um, by kind of the opinion there, which is that the drivers are, are all of under, under the understanding that this is what the rules are and they all know this, why did Hamilton leave such a big gap? Because you should just always stay tight to the inside. Mm. Never let anyone up the inside is the new yeah, defensive they, they, They've position. said, do not go around the outside, essentially. You, yeah, you won't, you won't uh, make it. Effectively, all the power is in the hands of driver on the inside in all situations. So You, you don't even have to turn. This there. is the thing. You don't even have to turn. You can just stay going in a straight line. As long as you don't let them get a car, a car, width, a car length ahead of you to turn in, you just stay in a straight line all the way to the edge and then drive off, especially if they're not allowed to then defend themselves off track and come back on yeah nuts, i mean you could nuts. you could see a car attempting an overtake and then just go unrealistically quick up to the apex because you know that as long as yeah. they're not ahead of you then then it's your corner q alonzo this week yep that's what i would say and and it bothers me that i don't I, do you remember the year of hamilton hitting massa uh, what, 2009 and um, yeah. hit, I think every time obsessively hitting Massa yeah. <laughs> in a somewhat and, personal series of attacks. And like 99% of those was Massa chucks it up the inside. Hamilton turns in hard to the apex and surprise, there's mm. two things where only one thing can be. It just seems like to me with that ruling, especially about the what counts as alongside for the inside car that they are just inviting that kind of trouble back into our lives, which I don't know if you're, if you're a fan of a midfield team, maybe that's a good thing because we'll start to see Ferraris and Red Bulls taking each other out more <laughs> frequently. But on the whole, I think it's probably not great. Okay. Right. Let's, um, let's get to some more listener questions. I will just say, if you are listening on the, the YouTube, you may have listening on the YouTube. If you're a viewer on YouTube, you might have noticed that we don't tend to do a live version followed by an edited version that's come up. Um, it's all one thing. We just trim the live version within the YouTube app, which means now that liking the live stream really, really helps us. So please smash that like button. That will help us a lot. And click the subscribe button while you're here, and then you'll get notifications when we go live. And if you are a podcast listener, then please, please do subscribe. Don't rely on me reminding you in a post on Twitter. And please go and um, leave us an iTunes review. It really, really helps. We do get the odd ones saying, oh, that that, span, that Spanners is brilliant, but Philpot and, uh, and Trumpets, they're terrible. Two stars. Give us five stars and you can, you, can, uh, you can talk about my face and how it looks like a Malteser as much as you want. As long as we get five stars, all helps us in the algorithm. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, I don't fully know what the word algorithm means, but I feel like I use it in a good enough context. Right, there's a question about Latifi, as promised, and this is from Patrick. Hello, I'm listening to the Silverstone Race Review, and I've just heard the part disparaging, in block capitals, Latifi's performance by comparing him to Russell's constant overperformance last year. I just want to note that the bar last season was much lower. Haas were awful. Alpha uh, were also close to as bad, whereas this year, Patrick is saying that Williams is by far the worst car. Okay, well, we can talk about that a little bit differently. I think the most interesting thing of Patrick's email here is, I also wanted to note that changeable conditions seem to usually be spoken about as the better representation of skill than the drive, at least when it comes to drivers in lesser cars. So writing off Latifi's performance as being uh, done in the rain felt strange. Anyway, really enjoy the show and also appreciate there being a good avenue for listener feedback. And that is from Patrick. I think this is a a really interesting question when we talk about uh, why we disparage a result because it was in changeable conditions and why we praise certain drivers who do really well in the rain, but we don't praise it when Latifi or Stroll pull up an unexpected good qualifying in changeable conditions. So are we just being massive hypocrites and picking and choosing between the drivers we like um, and disparaging the achievements of the drivers that we feel shouldn't be doing well? I think first question probably for you, Brad, is, is the wet, is that the better test of who is a great driver? And this is often said. Uh, entirely depends on your definition. It depends what you care about as as part of the the set of things which which make a great driver. Obviously, you'd hope that the best drivers are are good at adapting to different conditions. But really, driving in the wet is is a bit of a strange one. You can have drivers who are just phenomenally good in in basically every condition, but just lack that little bit in the wet and. I don't know how to explain it other than they may well just have not experienced as much of it when they're going through their formative years. Um, I don't subscribe to the the thing that a lot of people will say, which is that, you know, it really separates the, the great drivers from the average ones. I don't think it certainly would prevent you from being classed as like, you know, best of all time. If you weren't also pretty good in the wet, you do tend to see a correlation there. But the other problem is, Driving in the wet, particularly in a modern Formula One car, there's quite a large random element because the cars aren't really set up for the wet. They're really snappy. They don't behave very well at all. And conditions are changing so quickly, as we saw with Latifi getting through to the top 10, just being on track at the right time 
uh, you know, getting that kind of strategy right, um, you know, being doing your fastest laps when the track is at its best also makes such a big difference. So, um, yeah, it's it's complicated, but I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on how well Latifi did there. Well, I mean, obviously he didn't do terribly. He made it into Q3. Um, you know, as I noted, one of the drivers had a technical issue that kept him from setting a time. But in this particular instance, and I think what Brad is kind of referencing, is that there was a very small window of time to set a lap. So if anyone ahead of him had their lap spoiled because of traffic or had a technical issue of any kind that kept them from basically getting their first lap in, then the times didn't improve from there. So, so it was much more of a roulette wheel uh, in this one particular instance. Yeah, and I think on um, on Saturday, this Saturday, it definitely, it definitely was a roulette wheel. I mean, anyone watching that session saw that basically everyone that came out, uh, each lap that went by, you were on a drier and drier line, and then the rain came down and it just froze everything, and, and that's how he got through to... That's how he got through to Q3. Obviously, the Q2 one... I'll, the thing that upsets me, though, is he should be getting to Q2 more often. He should be getting to Q2 at least as much as, as Albon does, or at least as much as George Russell did. And then as soon as he does do it, like once, people are like, see? And that discounts, like, the previous 30 Grand Prix. And, you know, it, it spikes, not trends. Uh, let's move on to uh, another question. Has anyone picked one out? I have one, if not. I, in that case, it looks like I am going to engine regulations, Matt, which I think you'll enjoy. And I think, look, I think here on this panel, we're all science fans, and we are all we're all broadly environmentalists. We all want to to see us, us doing what is best for the planet. And three of us on the panel have spawned and have at least a passing interest in what kind of world our kids want to grow up in. And so, Scott asks a question about the 2026 regulations. I already feel like they're missing the boat completely. They are discussing smaller, lighter cars, but only a minor, only by a minor amount, because they're dropping the MGUH. They're discussing, uh, they are discussing 100% biofuel. I don't think F1 are. I think Karun Chandok was on the Sky commentary. But I feel they're creating regulations that will be obsolete before they're even released. So I'll spare a little bit of the the email. Scott is basically saying, surely Formula E is the faster, safer, more environmentally friendly way. And that's the way Formula One should go. Any regulations designed around the uh, internal combustion powertrain is already obsolete. Now, I see what he's saying. But I think the very first question to ask in all of that is, apart from like setting an example for the rest of the world and optics, there's there's only 20 Formula One cars. So... The 20 Formula One cars, they could they could all run off a coal-fired power station each and it not make a dent. Do you know what I mean? Like the 20 cars burning pure petrol isn't actually going to make a difference. So it is a political choice in a way, Matt. It is a an optics choice. It is a aspirational choice. There's, there's no actual reason why F1 cars couldn't just run on petrol. Uh, no, there's not. And in, but in fact, in this instance, I, I would argue that there is some good to it. First of all, if we step back and look at the FIA, we have Formula E, which is its own thing. Formula One wanted to be fully electric next year. They couldn't be because of the contractual arrangements that have already been made between Formula E and the FIA. We have WEC running hydrogen fuel cell cars now and hydrogen combustion cars. So that's another area of potentially sustainable renewable fuels. 
And when we come to Formula One, what we're talking about now is not the biofuel of your granddad made from ethanol, from sugar beets or corn. We're talking about uh, generation two fuels, which are made from leftovers from food processing and other types of processing of organic matter. So it's important to note that in this case, we're not really adding carbon dioxide. We're simply reprocessing carbon dioxide that was already there. But the reason it matters is you have companies like Shell, Mobile, all of your big petroleum companies are now getting stuck into research into these more advanced, more environmentally friendly biofuels. And lest we forget, cars hang around a long time. You could ban internal combustion engines tomorrow, and 25 years from now, there'd be somebody still putt-putting around on the road. So the better the fuels are, the better the better it will be for everybody in the long run. So that's the first half of my response. Oh, blimey. All right. I figured somebody else might want to get a word in. Yeah, we were trying to this entire time, Matt. And I get that. And it's got like saying, well, I'll answer the electrical part of it. Why don't we move to uh, all electric engines? I mean, there was there was um, a Goodwood hill climb car that like broke the record or whatever and was like amazingly fast, Brad. Yeah, that was the the McMurtry, I think it's what it's called. And if you haven't watched that, just Google it if you can get anywhere near that spelling. Um, just good, <laughs> yeah. Goodwood, Goodwood Festival of Speed yeah. record or hill climb record. It was Max Chilton driving it. Oh. And it was this crazy little Batmobile looking car, quite short and stubby, but with two giant electric fans underneath sucking it to the track and chucking all the dirt out the back. And it, it doesn't look real. A bit like when you see a Formula One car go through Maggots and Beckett's for the first time, you think, is this sped up? So electric cars are obviously very fast, as we know, but they just can't really sustain that for a Formula One length. Race. No, exactly. So they're probably using their whole battery in order to to do that over one lap. The Formula E cars have to try and finish a race distance and sort of it was it was a bit of a a horrible compromise. Did they have two cars in the first generation of Formula E cars? So each driver had two cars, basically, and um, yeah, and they had to do that. Whereas now the cars are starting to uh, be able to complete a whole Grand Prix distance, so they are getting better. Um, one thing I just want to say is, people go, well, there's going to be some innovation in in battery tech. That doesn't tend to be how battery tech goes, but Formula E is getting closer to the limits of what current battery tech can do. So there's still some innovation to go into into that space. I, as a supportability engineer, I've always wished they'd gone down the, the hot swap uh, method where, you know, they pull into the pits, they pull out a big battery thing, kukunk, and then they, they slam in the, the next battery cell and off you go. And then you can have loads of tactics because you could have a, a big battery cell that takes a long time to change. Or you could even have eight battery cells. And then you could choose whether to come in and only change four of them. All sorts of strategic uh, uh, connotations. They don't seem to want to go that way. I will make the bet that in 40 years' time, you drive your electric electric car into the electric swap station, you take out a cell, you put in another cell. Um, but but look, the, bat- the, the bottom line is the battery tech isn't there yet for Formula E to just take over or for Formula One to go down an all-electric route, Brad. Yeah, and I just want to point out, you mentioned the the distance. So a Formula E race, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, is about 45 minutes. Um, and the speeds they're traveling at are, you know, although I love Formula E, find it very entertaining, it's not remotely the kind of speeds you're talking about with Formula One. If, if you had a Formula E car out on track at Silverstone this past weekend, it would have looked laughable, even compared to the Formula Three cars going around. So 
Um, it, it's not it's not there if we want yeah. Formula One to be what it currently is in terms of speed, spectacle and race distance. Last one from you, Matt. Yeah, well, I find it interesting that at the end of this question, he talks about using a four-cylinder engine. My understanding was that the original previous engine regulations originally was Renault calling for a four-cylinder but they compromised on the six. And I think you're going to be stuck with that architecture for the next regulations. But what I would encourage you to think of is that these renewable fuels, they are kind of like going to be a battery of above ground carbon created with renewable energy. And that is a more sustainable solution than what we have right Mm. now. And I think that's why it does matter. Jose solved it. He said, uh, just go nuclear. So each... Each car has just a nuclear power cell. Ah, works for space. Why not? Why not cars? Um, there is another related question to this about the size of the cars, but we do have a we've got a caller on the line, so let's see if this will work again, and hopefully the panel will hear it this time. Um, we've got Mark Mark on line six. Hello, Mark. Hello. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you're more than welcome. Uh, how is your Tuesday treating you, Mark? Very well, thank you. Having a lovely evening. Now I can tell from you your cadence and your tone that that you are you're from the north. Uh, how is how is the north today? It's classically wet and rainy and windy. Okay, fantastic. You choose to live somewhere where when you go outside, your face hurts and gets wet. Um, congratulations on that uh, uh, decision. Thank you very much. Um, so my question is, sure. If my question is, if if I'm allowed, go for it. Go for it, sir. It is. So are there any drivers on the grid currently who are driving their last season, even if they don't yet know it? And also, uh, we're nearly halfway. Do we have predictions from the panel about what's going to happen in the season? Also, I was going to go for a classic Matthew three-parter, but I could only think of two questions. (laughs) Fantastic. Appreciate that, that those questions. So the first one was, are there any drivers who've driven their last season and don't know it? Brad? Potentially Ricardo. I know we covered yeah, we that. Covered that one. Anyone Latifi, else? Latifi. Latifi. I yeah. think could well be in his last season, but don't know it. Oh, Latifi probably is aware. So probably think, has a clue. Yeah. So if you go down the teams, I mean, Hamilton's got a contract for for next season, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's still in. Those two are, are locked in. Perez has a contract to the end of next season as well. Both Ferrari drivers have got deals now as well. So it looks like a relatively stable grid. Alonso, Ocon, are they in danger? Not Ocon. He's got a long-term contract, yeah. longer term than Alonso at any rate. Uh, Stroll, I'm, I'm assuming, is safe, as is, uh, as is Vettel. We know the fates of the Toro Rosso, Toro Rosso, Alpha Tauri, Alpha Tauri lineup. Um, so really, I guess we, it's the Haas drivers. Schumacher might not yet have been told, but I, if I was Haas, I would be looking to, to replace Mick Schumacher. Sorry, I know there's a lot of goodwill for Mick Schumacher out there. So that, that's one potential. Did you have any in mind, Mark? Uh, no, I couldn't think of any. Like, mm. like you say, it's a pretty stable grid looking going into next year. I just thought if there was any insight you guys might have. Oh, no, no. any. We don't have any special inside insight. We can't reveal exclusively that Sebastian Vettel is to become the team principal and non-driver of Aston Martin. And what was the second part of that 17-part that question? <laughs> uh, I bet he forgot predictions. We're nearly oh. halfway through the season, I guess. Predictions. Okay, we'll take that. We'll take that offline. Thank you very much for for being a, another guinea pig here on Mr. Apex Podcasts. Call in, Bradley Philpot. Predictions. So, at the risk of, of sounding overly optimistic and, and too much of a, a fan <laughs> of one team, um, I 
I've heard on the grapevine, and Matt's probably got better insight than me on this, that Mercedes have some under-the-body changes coming. And I'm reading suspension compliance, um, things which will make the car less stiff and difficult to drive, addressing some of the areas where they are currently struggling. And if this floor, if the flexi floor regulations cause a bit of an upset in, in terms of the the drivability of maybe the Ferrari and the Red Bull, uh, hopefully the Red Bull and make it porpoise again, which would be, oh, sorry, I say again, hopefully, I don't think it's porpoise. Not that you're biased. Um, it, it, my prediction, and this is a wild prediction, but let's just go with it because I'll look like a, an absolute legend if it's proven <laughs> right. My prediction is Mercedes kick on and become dominant in the second half of the season and are finishing 1-2, whilst Ferrari and Red Bull scrap it out and take points off each other, and Mercedes come through and actually win the championship with one of the drivers, maybe Russell, right at the death. And it's like the most incredible end to the season we've ever seen. Ooh. I thing is, Mercedes do have the capability to just unlock something and go. So if you look at my driver table, so I, I, there's a, if you look at Russell and, and Hamilton... There is a difference of 111 for Russell and 93 for Lewis Hamilton. So that's an 18-point difference. I don't think that's big enough to start favouring one driver or the other. And I really do, and this is a pure guess, I just have the suspicion that Russell came in knowing full well he was supporting a, a Lewis Hamilton charge um, on, on the title. And I think the gap is close enough to still maintain that. However, if Lewis Hamilton, in my, like my scenario with Lando Norris, if Lewis Hamilton wins every race... Every fastest lap, two sprint race wins. He is going to be on 428 points. And if Verstappen finishes second every race, he's going to be on 418 points. So mathematically, it is a massive obstacle for Lewis Hamilton to, to climb right now. You know, we're talking the best part of 100 points behind Brad, which makes me feel like it is optimistic to think with a, a Perez that's on form, with a on, on pace at least, with a Verstappen that's on pace, I don't know if I can get on board with that. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm looking at Ferrari still as the only challenges. Well, 100 points is four race wins, isn't it? So four race wins is not, you know, it's not the most bizarre thing that could happen. Um, and I'm talking about with a massive change in yeah. car performance order. So if you suddenly find that a car that's been out front so far is struggling when they have to change, you know, if they have to change a flexible floor, which they may or may not have, and another car at the same time is kicking on and, and really developing into its full potential with a couple of big updates on the way. I don't think it's outside the realms of possibility, especially with with luck. You know, random stuff can happen, reliability problems. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It, it could, brawn happened, you know, <laughs> that season happened. So crazy, cool, magical stuff can happen. I'm not sure if I if I'm totally going with the fairy tales uh, <laughs> that Brad likes to see, but I do think um, uh, Mercedes. That's my prediction. Uh, will uh, will go for second spot. Um, I think the 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 signs uh, sign of the times uh, is that Ferrari is already dropping the ball and uh, knowing the tendency within that team when things start to crumble. Uh, I can see Mercedes definitely going for second spot in in, in at least the, the constructors championship, but maybe even who knows they can uh, they can uh, uh, get one of the drivers to uh, to take second spot in the drivers championship. One other thing that I predict 
which is pretty Ooh. sad and it's hardly a prediction after the, the provisional calendar was released. But is that we've seen the last of uh, of Spa Francorchamps for a while? Oh no! Yeah, it's 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 something you could kind of already see coming because it's so it's stacked right in front of the the Dutch Grand Prix nowadays, and Belgium has already had difficulty, you know, financing the race. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, government support over there. And for the second time this year, they they are um, scheduled a week before the Dutch Grand Prix, and we don't we don't have to to get into how popular the sport is over here. And um, I think they really suffer um, uh, from uh, from the, the the popularity and the oh, entry of the man. Dutch Grand Prix. This is so yeah. sad, Jules. Because Spa, yeah. like I'm not one for t- tradition. If Spa was going badly. Like Monaco goes badly year after year after year. I'd be more than happy to let it go. But but Spa produces good racing and it is still suitable for modern F1 cars. And they've made the improvements in that big blind spot that is 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 horrible and tragic when the cars come back um, off track. But it's so good, even as a Dutchman. I know you have a <laughs> hatred of, of Belgium, this anti-Belgian bias. No, 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 no. I mean, Belgium, together with Suzuka, to me, are the two races that I, that I can really feel my belly, belly tingling when, when they come up. But maybe Brad can respond to this. But um, that, in my opinion, there might be a bit of a misconception about uh, Spa being such a great racetrack. And I think in, the, Ooh, okay. in recent years, you can see that overtaking at Spa, it, it's a very long track. But actual overtaking uh, spots over there, there, there aren't so many. And the thing is, because the track is so long, um, you only get 44 laps. And um, with, with not a lot of overtaking opportunities, um, I can see from an entertaining point of view, mm. not from a heritage or a legacy point of view or fans' passion point of view, but pure from liberty point of view, they uh, they uh, tend to look elsewhere for uh, for anything. Mm, Jules, I will not stand idly by whilst you come here with this <laughs> ridiculous anti-spa propaganda. Um, I, okay, so I, your points, some of those points are like marginally valid, but I would say that compared to a great number of the current tracks we have, there are at least some overtaking spots and they're genuine and you have the challenge of the track and it's in an amazing location and there's huge elevation change and there's interesting strategic in terms of driving strategy um, elements where, you know, you can deliberately not be ahead at certain points on the run down to a Rouge because that means you're probably going to be slipstream past by the time you get to, to the end of the following straight. Spa brings so much awesome stuff to Formula One, weather, and there's then the history behind it as well. Mm. I would be absolutely devastated to see Spa go because after the Nürburgring Nordschleife, it's my second favorite circuit. And it's really the only track, the only track nowadays, which comes close to the Nürburgring in experience for fast cars. So for things like a Formula One car or a Formula Two car or an LMP1, those kind of cars can still race at Spa. And so you get to have a track with cool elevation change, every kind of corner you can imagine and a forest with rain clouds behind it um all all together and i just it would be such a sad thing to lose i totally i totally agree brad and and for everyone who's starting to uh send emails to matt at mistapex.com complaining about <laughs> us 
uh, <laughs> trying to entertain the idea of skipping spa. Boo. I, I was not, I was not um, building a case to do that. I was just, you know, trying to get inside the head of, of the people running. The oh, the old like, devil's advocate. Oh, I of was, course, I'm of course. just no, giving but... both sides of the argument that conveniently match with my anti-spa agenda. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it it spa holds the, my best uh, Formula One in in real life uh, memory as um, Zonta. Uh, well, no, 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 no. I um, oh okay. attending, the, attending. Yeah, this is this is a story like Grandpa tells a story. All right, gather around the tree. I'm Uncle Jules is going to tell us a story. <laughs> back in the day when I was still covering Formula One for Dutch National Newspaper, I I, I uh, was sent to the Grand nice flex, Yeah. On a Friday, I was driving there, but Spa is is is, is even worse than Silverstone to to get to and to get away from. So driving traffic, blah blah blah. And I knew I was looking at the clock in my car, and I was like, God damn! I I mean. Um, goodness geez, gracious fp1 Damn. goodness gracious fp1 has already started and i was i was i was nearing um um uh, the track and you 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 run through towns called stavolo you know and you suddenly realize oh the corners at spa are actually named after etc. yeah and then all of a sudden i started to hear the crying sounds of the v8 engines they had when i was there and so you're you're driving in these hills and the, the crying sounds of the V8 engines, they were echoing between the hills. And I was like, oh, this, I had good, I'm, I'm having goosebumps now. I'm telling this story. It if was you, great. If you start crying, that would be, it would be a better story for the street. Well, Go on, some tears I'm, would be I'm great. I'm not willing to get in touch with my feminine side in front of a live audience, but yes. But, but boys and girls can cry. How dare you? But yes, absolutely. You know, that that I think me and Brad, we get that obviously at Silverstone as well with all sorts of, of racing too. Uh, but I, like I said, I'm not one to stick around for nostalgia. Spa has to earn its place at the table for me from a racing point of view because obviously I don't care about the finances or the politics of it. Lucas makes a good point. I think Spa will be much better this year, just like Silverstone. I think the new regulations really worked at Silverstone. I think they kind of it was a big kind of redemption for the regulations that have had to struggle on street circuits to prove themselves. But my prediction, Jules, is Spa is going to make you eat your words um, this year and it's going to be some cracking racing up and down the field. I hope Spa punishes me and I hope, I hope, really hope Spa builds a great case for itself and we don't get terrorised by too much rain and no race at all like last oh, year. Yeah, no, that's it true. really is a banger. Okay, brilliant. Let's move on to, I think, our last question because um, it's a hot night and people are starting to get sweaty. And like like you said, Matt, after Sunday night, the best part of the live stream sometimes is being able to put the fans back on because they don't interfere with our microphones anymore. I'm absolutely boiling. But great question from Joey, which is similar along the same lines as the, the question about fuels from Scott. So simple question. Would you like to see smaller cars? With these two by three meter bathtubs meandering around the circuit and making life very difficult on smaller tight circuits, I would like to see the size of these beasts scale down, of course. I, I only want to see this if it can be done with safety and the current protections drivers have are not compromised. Okay, uh, <laughs> some very animated panelists here. So Matt, then Brad. Yes, 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 yes. And lighter too, please. Thank you. Okay, Brad. So I was lucky enough to see Sebastian Vettel demonstrate Nigel Mansell's um, early 90s, I think it's in 1992, Red 5 around Silverstone at the weekend. And aside from the fact that that V10 screaming was the most awesome sound ever, and it's so sad that for, you know, for all the reasons 
that we know yeah. that isn't what we have anymore. Um, the, aside from that, the car looked really cool. The proportions of the car were so much better than the, than the current crop. It, it was the right size. Everything about that car, apart from the safety side, which obviously yeah. could be improved, um, looked right. It, it was the right size. It sounded right. The speed, you weren't left lacking for the speed. You know, you, you watched that even on demonstration tyres with Vettel one hand out of the cockpit waving <laughs> at everyone, yeah. obviously not pushing for a qualifying lap. You watched that go around and, and it looked more than impressive enough to draw the same crowd that we had at the weekend. You don't need the extra, I guess, whatever it is, 10 seconds faster that, that they are now. Yeah. So the size of those cars for me was just right. And the, the way they look nimble. And when you watch a replay of, uh, of Hamilton in 2008 or whatever, yeah. the way those cars change direction is something we oh, miss. Oh my now. goodness. Even when you watch the start of, yeah, Lewis Hamilton's career, which is relatively recently. So 2007, you see those moves where he's diving down the inside of Fernando Alonso. The track looks gigantic. It's like when you go back to your primary school and you go, you know, oh, I can't remember the, the, the chairs being, being this small. Yeah, I can't remember the Formula One cars being this small. Uh, but I have to say, never again, never again should we care what the lap times of Formula One cars are. So for the last 30 years, Formula One cars have been fantastically, incredibly fast. The ultimate cornering speed and how fast they can navigate around Silverstone or, or Spa-Francorchamps or Hungaroring doesn't matter at all. The spectacle does not change. There was, I think in 20. 20- 14 there was a knee-jerk reaction because the cars were slow and people were saying oh you know it's not that much faster than f2 all right we'll slow f2 down as well and then there was a knee-jerk reaction going no it has to be fast it has to have the most amazing lap times and they just bolted on as much downforce as they could and they just uh, they made the the sport worse they made following impossible you will not be able to tell the difference in lap times between cars if they change regulations and it doesn't necessarily equate to good racing so we do this with our you know when we're setting up iRacing series brad you know we have a fixed setup where everyone has the same setup and people go oh it's not exactly to my liking or it's not as ultimately fast yeah but it doesn't matter because you're trying to encourage better racing so i mean is there anything am i wrong is there anything to be gained by making formula one four seconds faster would anyone care i think it's mainly just that you, even though you can't really tell the difference when you're watching because you're not comparing it to a car which is two seconds faster or five seconds faster, you're not seeing them side by side. So you, you can't really tell when you're watching. I think it's more a case that you can, you can just say you're seeing the fastest cars ever. But most people don't care. Most people are there to support a driver or a team and, and enjoy watching the race. So I, I'm in full agreement. Unless we start getting kind of I guess down to slower than current Formula 2 cars. I think that the ideal mm. is maybe four or five seconds quicker than a, the current Formula 2 car, as long as you're achieving that and you pretty much can uh, with, with you know, any, any regulation change that you care to speak of nowadays. Um, that's fine for me. I don't think they need to be the fastest of all time. And if you allow development, they will always get faster than, the, than they start off as in a, in a Formula anyway. So I agree. Jules and then Matt? Yeah, Brad's point makes me makes me think of of MotoGP, for instance. I mean, they are massively slower than Formula One cars, oh, but they're yeah. absolutely a delight to watch. You know, because it still looks fast. It's um, um, you know, it's 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 it, it doesn't really matter. I think exactly what Brad says uh, when you're not comparing them one to one. 
um, nobody really cares. And 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 I think uh, I, I'm 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 completely for for the smaller smaller cars uh, uh, point. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, I mean, and again, I think the important point here to stress is the without losing any of the current safety, a lot of the weight gain, and hence I think a lot of the size gain has been from added safety features over the years. Even things like, okay, well, we're gonna we're gonna give the driver allowance and make it separate, whereas before the drivers have had to starve themselves in order to have ballast on the <laughs> car, and. Also to consider like just the ending refueling made the cars heavier in real life because now you're carrying an entire race's worth of fuel on board when you start the Grand Prix. It's not an easy problem to solve, but as we've seen, Formula E has taken a, a hack at it. And I would love for the upcoming regulations to, to really try and rein in the current Formula SUV that we're seeing. <laughs> Formula SUV. All right, maybe we'll call it that uh, from now on. Thank you very much. I hope you're enjoying these listener mailbag shows. Your feedback can always be sent to feedback at mistapex.net. Follow us on Twitter at mistapexf one and me at SpannersReady. Brad, quickly, you have a series called Through the Visor on YouTube. It's really good. Let's put a link in the show notes below. You've four episodes in? I think we're five, but mm. I'm kind of I'm going to make this a bit more flexible because up until now it's been one after each race. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to try and insert in the, in the interim things like I'm doing today, which are, you know, detailed analysis when needed of rules updates that relate to driving. It's really looking at Formula One from the driver's eye. And, uh, and yeah, so I asked for your questions on Twitter. And yeah, well, you must, be, you must be good at that because look how many trophies you've got in your background and you've got a helmet hat as well. So that's, you, that must be really, you're an authority, Brad, I can tell by the trophies exactly yeah yep, that's why they're there and you have to plug mist apex on your thing now that it's big and popular because we've just plugged yours okay good and <laughs> matt two rumpets you are at matt pt 55 on twitter that's where you can yeah, find me you're on instagram Ask me a question say hi you're on instagram as well yep uh same same handle mm. on instagram and tiktok and I, I i haven't gotten onto tiktok yet not yet all right jules tiktok <laughs> no, I'm on TikTok. But you can follow me on Twitter if you if you like. I'm yeah. on TikTok, so follow me on TikTok. Spanners ready and just and encourage me to do more. I've put like five up. Um, but at Jules F1, Jules. No, no, no. At, just at Jules Sagers. Oh, okay. At, yeah. Jules, at Jules Sagers. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Go and follow him. All the links in the show notes below if Matt remembers to put them in, which he always does. So that's pretty cool. And um, thank you very much for listening to this mailbag show. And thanks for the guys who called in. I, I, I personally am looking to do some kind of F1 call in, perhaps streamed on Twitch using Twitter Spaces to take your calls and just talk to as many of you guys as you can while making some some reasonable F1 content. So look out for that. You can be my friend on Facebook by searching for Richard ready uh, until we see you next which i believe will be the austrian grand prix race review with kyle power and antonio rankin and I, I suppose we'll invite matt as well um until then work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.